You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. So I got an email today right before we started to record the podcast, and I'm just going to read it. Hey, Dan, I love your show, your rants, your energy, your opinion. One tiny thing that irks me, every time you mention your husband, Terry, you switch tone and pronounce it my husband in a way that communicates that you are putting it between quotation marks. This broadcast that you treat this somehow differently than just plain being married, that it is somehow dot, 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 pretend. I think one of the challenges we all face is normalizing same-sex marriage, and it would be a good idea to refer to Terry as my husband, period, no decorations, just matter of fact. It is a nuance, but I think significant one. All the best, Eton. Well, yeah, I do call him, you know, Terry, my husband. I've been saying that for a very long time. In all honesty, I am slightly putting it in italics or I was. I really think I was. For a long time, I, I, I was doing it with that sort of I can't believe I get to call him my husband. I don't really feel like he's my husband. I'm not even sure what my husband is supposed to mean for us as gay men. If you read my book, The Commitment, which pause now to think about how fast things have changed and how rapidly things have changed. When I came out to my mom when I was 18, I wasn't just – burdening her with mental images that it took her years to expunge. Mom, I'm gay. And she could just see dicks flying into every hole of mine. I was telling my mother that I would never marry. That was part of what coming out as gay meant. You would never get married. Marriage was something that straight people did. There were a lot of lesbian feminists who regarded the inability to be married or to marry as one of the great things about lesbianism was that you got to – when Terry and I were thinking about marrying or adopting, we had older gay and lesbian friends who were like, you guys are crazy. Marriage and kids were the trap that we all had to avoid. And so we had complicated, nuanced feelings about marriage. Like was it for us? My book, The Commitment, is all about Terry and I wrestling with this thing, marriage, and whether we as a gay male couple – could be part of it or belonged in it. When we first started thinking about marriage, when marriage was legalized in Ontario uh, and then Massachusetts, and this is only 10, 12 years ago that that happened, when we first started thinking about it and us and whether we would do it, Terry was against it. When marriage came up, when my mother brought it up, Terry said, I don't want to get married because I don't want to act like straight people. And my mother looked at Terry and said, you just had a baby. There is no acting like straight people bigger than having a baby. Because we'd already had our, our son. We'd already adopted our son when these conversations were going on. And so we were, it felt, putting on this, this garment that we'd never worn before. And it was a little awkward and a little uncomfortable. And it felt like a brand new privilege to be able to, after we married, to look at Terry and say, my husband. And so we said it in a kind of funny, ironic way because the word was brand new in our mouth. mouths. And then an interesting thing happened. We got more comfortable. Like at first it was hard calling him my husband. It felt weird calling him my husband. But we got more comfortable with it and now I'm fine. I call him my husband all the time. And my husband is my pet name for my husband. Now I have both. I will call him my husband without saying my husband. But sometimes I call him my husband because that is my 
pet name alternate intonation. And so I'm going to keep calling Terry my husband because he likes it when I say it like that. I like saying it like that. It's how I feel about him. And it's not communicating any sort of, I'm not worthy about marriage. He is my husband. He's also my husband. And he can be both at once. And also reaching into the mailbag, a few emails and a few tweets from people who were upset and annoyed that I used the expression, and I'm going to use it here again to reference it, and for the last time ever, I will use it. I used the expression honest engine last week in one of my responses. That was a 50-year-old white guy brain fart, and I apologize. I get that it's insensitive. I get that it's inappropriate. And if I had been thinking, literally thoughtless, if I had been thinking as those words were coming out of my mouth, I, of course, wouldn't have used them. And I shan't again ever promise and sorry. All right. I said last week we would get a couple of experts in this week to talk about the new female Viagra just approved by the FDA. And we got them. They're on the Magnum. Alice Dreger and Liz Canner coming up on the Magnum, coming up on the micro. Your calls, my answers, tons of them. Glad you're here. This episode of Savage Love is supported by Sundance Now Doc Club, the new streaming service for everyone who loves documentaries. Discover unforgettable films such as Orgasm Inc. To get a free 30-day trial, go to docclub.com slash savage. That's D-O-C-C-L-U-B dot com slash savage. When you shop at adamandeve.com, you'll get 10 free gifts with your order, including free shipping. Go to adamandeve.com and enter savage at checkout. Today's Lovecast is brought to you by MeUndies.com. High-quality, super-comfortable, good-looking underpants. Get 20% off your first order when you go to MeUndies.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. I'm a 40-year-old divorced straight woman on the East Coast. I have an 11-year-old daughter, and I've been divorced from her father for seven and a half years. Here's my story and then my question. I've been out with probably 200 men in the past seven years. I've had three longer-term relationships and several flings and a few one-night stands. When I started dating after my divorce, my intention was to find a husband. But in the past few years, I've moved away from that idea, and what I really want is someone to talk to, do stuff with when my daughter's with her dad, and fuck as often as possible. The thing is that what keeps happening to me over and over is that when I put that out there, the men don't believe me. My first priority is to my daughter because she needs me more than anyone else. But just because she should be number one doesn't mean I shouldn't get some. When I put something like this on my OkCupid and JDate profiles, basically I get offers from all kinds of scummy guys who are looking for free sex, but no one who could have a halfway decent conversation or who wanted to be my friend. Most of the men I've dated are also divorced, and I find that generally they get parenting and work-life balance, but they, they don't believe me when I say I don't need a ring on it right now. When my daughter leaves the house, I'd sure love to find a life partner, but bringing a blended family into our lives right now seems so complicated. I'm a successful professional, highly educated, I'm in great physical shape, I have a great family and lots of wonderful friends. What do you think men are thinking when I tell them what I'm looking for once we meet in person? Most of them don't even want a second date. Even the ones who kiss me goodnight or more seem to find a way to back out when we suggest when I suggest that we make plans for some time in the future. What might I try differently? I appreciate your help. The relationship I have with my vibrator is a good thing, but not as good as it could be with the right guy. I think there are two stools and you're falling on the floor right in between them. There are, you know, the one stool is completely casual sex. And when you put that out there, you get nothing but responses on Jade Aid and OK Cupid from scummy guys who are just looking for sex. You yourself, however, are just looking for sex. 
I think the problem you're making is there's the other stool, which is relationships and commitment, and you're not necessarily seeking that right now. But when you put it out there, perhaps the way you're putting it out there to the guys that you're dating or seeing or would like to perhaps have be the FWB in your life, when you talk about it with them, I think you're communicating the other stool to just casual sex scummy guys looking for sex i think you're coming across in that moment not as a you know a scummy woman looking for sex that's how you're coming across in that moment when what you're actually looking for is the invisible missing stool in between and you need to set that stool there so you stop falling on your ass you want a relationship you want a relationship you want an ongoing sustained relationship with a guy you like and come to know where there is sex and there is not a commitment but a connection but I think the way you're talking about it makes the guys feel disposable or commodified or something. It's, and perhaps what they're succumbing to is the slut shaming in the culture that a woman saying that putting it out there, what she wants and it's sex is scaring them off because they're scared little boys or they're interested in having a relationship and perhaps not a commitment, not yet, but they want to have sex in the context of something happening if not moving toward marriage, moving toward a connection. And you want that too. So I think you need to just shift how you talk about this. So you don't make these guys feel like they're walking, talking, biped versions of your vibrator. That you're just looking for them to rush in and provide more sensation than your vibrator can provide in the moment. That you're looking to get to know somebody, maybe also a single parent, who also has responsibilities and to their children, as you do, and you guys can have a connection and ongoing sex, blah, blah, blah. Might be a mistake to roll this all out on the first date. If you're throwing this all on the table on that first date, that seems a little hurried, desperate. Nobody likes desperate, men or women. Nobody likes desperate. It also brings us back to this thing I talk about all the time, which is it looks like it, it comes across as poor judgment, a display of poor judgment, something that even if that's what he wanted to, you being so sort of aggressively explicit about it out of the gate, which is usually at that first date, is not when people start laying out their terms. Usually people are just sort of performing for each other a little bit, getting to know each other, establishing that they can have a conversation, that they're a fun person to spend some time with. If it during that first date, that first hangout, you are coming across like MacArthur on the aircraft carrier in the Bay of Japan dictating terms of surrender. That could be off-putting. Not that the terms that you're laying out might be what the guy wants ultimately. But on some level, perhaps a subconscious level, he goes, oh, that she's throwing this all out there right now means she has poor judgment, poor interpersonal skills, maybe even a little bit crazy. And I'm not up for – maybe up for – Sex in the context of uh, no commitment and no moving toward commitment, up for friends with benefits, not up for poor judgment, not up for someone without the sense to roll these things out more slowly. So roll them out more slowly. Here's what you're going to do. Next time you go on a date, don't say any of this shit. Just let it happen. And if sex happens, great. And then see if he calls again or responds to your call and wants to hang out again. And if sex happens again, great. Just let it roll. Don't slap your terms down on the deck of the aircraft carrier yet. And then when you have been hanging out for a few weeks or a few months and you've been and the sex has been good, if there's a point a point will come where there's a conversation about the relationship that has emerged between you two. And at that point you can say, 
I'm focused on my daughter right now. The blended family thing isn't something I'm interested in. Would love to keep seeing you and hanging out with you. I think you're great. What we're doing is what I want. But they're not going to get to that point of doing the thing that you want if you're hustling them toward it in the first half hour. You're going to scare them off. You're going to spook them. So take it slow. Keep your mouth shut. Fuck them. Hi, Dan. I'm a 25-year-old straight male from Massachusetts. I'm recently on a sexy vacation with my lover, and we're having a lot of trouble with her vagina pain. I tried, you know, every time we hook up, I try to go down on her. I try to, like, kiss her a long time, try to be real sweet to her for all the way up front. Foreplay is an issue. I think she's hot. She thinks I'm hot. Recently started using lube, but it's not really helping. She's suffering from a lot of vagina pain. And, you know, she's a trooper. She puts up with it just to, you know, just to help things go along between us. But she ends up really suffering, and it's not really a healthy, positive relationship. What can I do to make this, you know, very thin, very pretty girl uh, be able to take my somewhat bigger dick? It's getting painful. I want to make this girl come, and she's just dealing with a lot of pain. Help me, Dan Savage. You know what would be real sweet? It would be real sweet of you to stop trying to jam your dick into this woman who is suffering from vaginal pain. Maybe you're too big. Maybe you are too big and she needs to get herself a big set of vaginal dilators and solo alone without the pressure or the expectations that you bring to the table, masturbate uh, by herself experiencing that the, you know the full like gamut of vaginal dilators, which are basically a set of dildos uh, in increasingly larger sizes that a woman can practice with, right? Or maybe you should prioritize non-penetrative sex. The problem is if all of the pleasure that you're providing her with cunnilingus, with lubes, with masturbation, with whatever else is goal-oriented and the goal is your dick in her – whether it feels particularly good to her in the moment or not and you're just both going to power through – She's going to grit her teeth through the pain and you're going to take your pleasure anyway. That's just a recipe for disaster. You're going to create a negative feedback loop. She is going to begin to experience vaginal pain just in anticipation of intercourse with you because it always goes to this painful place and she will begin to associate you and your dick with pain and it is going to spiral down from there and it's not going to work. So you know what you do? You take your dick off the fucking menu. You take penis and vagina off the fucking menu. You eat her pussy and you make her come. You roll around. You give her the freedom and yourself the freedom to have sex without having to have intercourse. It's the intercourse that's not working right now, right? So mutual masturbation, oral sex without the oral being prologue to vaginal intercourse. The oral is the sex that you're going to have, period, full stop, the end. And then outer course. If you inside her is painful, how is you outside her? Like once everything's all lubed up and happy to engage in an act of frottage where your dick is rubbing up and down between her labia but not into her vaginal canal and pressing against her clitoris, maybe that would be exciting and fun and get her off without causing her pain. And if you can then begin to create a positive feedback loop where sex with you means Pleasure and sex with you doesn't always end in penis in vagina pain. She won't fear sex with you. And then perhaps you can begin to incorporate some penetration without 
the expectation that initiating penetration means you get to go for it until you come, that she's not under any pressure to avoid bailing. If she needs to bail, if it begins to be painful, you bail and you retreat to other stuff that works for you both. And then you gradually incorporate maybe a little more penetration, a little more penetration. Maybe she experiments alone with her vaginal dilators. Maybe she goes and talks to her gynecologist about any other underlying medical issues she might have. But the first thing you need to do is decenter your dick. If everything you're doing with her sexually is trying to leverage her pussy into a place where you can fuck it, and if you're always in a hurry to get there, that's a recipe for vaginal pain disaster. You will never solve this problem for her because you are the problem for her if that's how you're behaving, if that's what you're doing. If I was in charge of you and your dick and her and her pussy, this is what I would do. No penetrative sex for three months. None at all. Oral, which is, of course, penetrative when you're talking about a blowjob. Oral and mutual masturbation and intimacy and holding each other in touch and talking and dirty talk and erotica and whatever else. But no dick in her pussy for three months. To create a lot of positive feelings, a lot of positive vibes to make her feel safe. With you and your dick. Right now, I bet she does not feel safe with you and your dick. That, everything I've just laid out for you, do that. That would be real sweet. Like we do here at the Savage Lovecast, Adam and Eve want you to have the best sex life ever. When you buy something at Adam and Eve, they'll send you a sexy surprise for women, a specially selected toy for men, and a little something that works for anyone. Plus, you'll get six full-length adult movies on DVD and free shipping on your entire order. So what do you have to do to get your 10 free gifts? It's not hard. Just go to adamandeve.com and select any one item. It could be an adventurous new sex toy, a sexy piece of lingerie, or anything else you desire. Enter offer code SAVAGE at checkout and you'll get all 10 free gifts. Go to adamandeve.com today, select one item, and get 10 free gifts, including shipping, when you enter offer code SAVAGE. That's S-A-V-A-G-E at adamandeve.com. Hi, Dan. I'm a 26-year-old female, two months out from a breakup with a live-in boyfriend of a little over a year. In hindsight, there are red flags about his mental instability, and I know we moved too quickly. Shortly after we moved in together, he started fixating on my past relationship, calling me a slut, and breaking my thing. He isolated me from my friends, broke into my email, and kept me up all night multiple times a week. He was still expecting me to have sex with him daily through this, and my sex trip plummeted, even though I enjoyed it when we did have sex. She reacted to my rejection with anger, claiming that I didn't like him and wasn't attracted to him. He was extremely fearful that I would abandon him, to the point where he was threatening suicide if I did. Since our breakup, I have blocked his phone number, but continue to get multiple emails a day. One email will say he loves me, and the next he'll be calling me a selfish bitch. I try not to respond, but eventually I break. I struggle with feeling like I confirmed all of his insecurities by breaking up with him. I don't know how to stop feeling guilty when I get these emails daily about how miserable he is. I still feel like I want to help him, and I'm afraid that I'm going to go back to this toxic relationship. What can I do to help me stop feeling guilty and avoid going back to this relationship? Block his email. You can block someone's email. And never, ever respond to any of his emails ever again. Never open an email from him ever again. If he creates a new email account and emails you again, do not open that email. Delete them without reading them. 
stop allowing yourself to be sucked back into the guilt vortex of this bullshit. And what do you have to feel guilty about? This man was clearly abusive, isolating you from your friends, keeping you up all night, all these accusations. You were abused by this person and you are not responsible for saving this person. And, and you are not magic and your pussy is not lords and healing waters do not flow from it. So even if you got back together with him, it's not going to fix him. He's kept you in his life by being a damaged nut, right? And so you getting back together with him, which he managed to achieve by being crazy and abusive and awful, you going back is not going to stop the crazy, abusive, and awful. You, When you were there, it didn't stop the crazy, abusive, awful. So you going back isn't going to fix it. He needs to – it's his shit. He needs to work on it. And if – the crazy, abusive, awful game that he plays keeps you in his life. He has no incentive to work on it. He has, he's not going to see that this is not a winning strategy if you go back. If you go back, it will get worse. If you go back, you are rewarding him. He will get it in his head that this is how he keeps you in his life. You are not helping him by going back. You are hurting him and yourself primarily – and most importantly, yourself. You will be hurting yourself. But you will also be doing this guy no favors because eventually he has to hit relationship rock bottom and figure this fucking shit out and you going back delays that date, that glorious day when he figures out that this is not how to win girlfriends and influence lovers, this shit, right? He is fucked up damaged person and you need to stay the fuck away from him and you owe him nothing. I'm sure when you were together and he was berating you and accusing you of thinking of leaving and threatening to kill himself if you did leave, which look at, he didn't do that, right? That idle threat, people, that is almost always an idle threat. That is hostage-taking bullshit. The asshole who says that sort of thing, taking themselves hostage, pointing the gun at themselves and threatening to harm the hostage if you leave – it's bullshit and you shouldn't allow it to affect your choices or your behavior when someone engages in that kind of bullshit. But he threatened to kill himself if you left and so you promised him you wouldn't leave. I bet that's what happened over and over again. You promised him you weren't going to leave. You assured him and reassured him as, you, as he kept you up all night, three nights a week. Like the boyfriend, not from hell, but from ISIS. And now there's probably some part of you that feels guilty about that, that you lied to him. I'm sure that's what he's saying to you in the emails. You said you would never leave and you left. You lied to me, lied to me, lied to me. And you did. But you lied under duress to someone who was abusing you. And maybe even when you said it, it wasn't a lie. Because at the time that you said you would never leave him, you had no intention of leaving him. But then you came to your fucking senses and you got the fuck out. Now stay the fuck out. He's an asshole and an abuser. And one of the crazy things that abusers do, the way they get into our heads, is they eventually get us to participate in the abuse. And by reading his emails, you are participating in his abuse. By feeling any sense of obligation to him in the wake of everything that went down and then allowing him to get inside your head by opening those fucking emails, by responding to them, you are participating in your own abuse. You are facilitating. You are helping him. You're giving him your assistance in damaging you. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Block all of his email addresses. Never open an email from him ever again. 
If you ever shows up anywhere, call the fucking police. Get a restraining order if he does not leave you the fuck alone. Hey, it's the part of the show where you get to listen to the producer of the Savage Lovecast talk about underwear. That's right. It's an ad for me undies. As I mentioned a couple weeks ago, they sent me some samples to try, and you might be wondering how they are faring. Well, I still love them. My old underpants are now relegated to the back of the drawer because my new MeUndies are so comfortable and cute. They come in five styles for ladies, the classic bikini, the boy short, the cheeky brief, the modal thong, and now, look out, the lace thong. And don't worry, fellas, they still have underpants for you. Their stuff is made from some kind of breathable, what they call modal, all-natural fabric that really feels nice. And the whole process is great. You shop online, they ship for free, and if you don't like their underpants, inconceivable, they let you keep a pair. And because you're here now, you're going to get 20% off your first order. Just go to MeUndies.com slash savage for 20% off and free shipping. That's MeUndies.com slash savage. So hello, Dan. I'm a tech savvy at risk youth. Uh, I'm a late 30s straight male living in a major northeast American city. Basically, my issue is that when I'm dating women who I'm crazy about, they almost always bail on me. I'm not clingy or needy. Most of the time, I see them two to three times a week. We always ostensibly have lots of fun, but I don't hide the fact that I see a future and I'm what you might call chivalrous. I bring flowers, I go on proper dates, and so on. Now, when I'm dating women who I'm somewhat less interested in but trying to give it a chance to see where things might go, those women always end up highly interested in me and wanting a relationship. I treat them pretty much the same in terms of respect, except I'm probably somewhat less consistent and less inclined to make interesting plans and introduce them to friends, as to not give them the wrong idea about my current level of interest. So my question is as follows. Do you recommend that I refrain from showing as much interest in the women I, I really uh, have grown to like over the course of a few months? as in treat them how I treat the women I'm less excited about. Those odious self-proclaimed online dating gurus recommend these kind of tactics, but I've always steered clear of games and tried to just be myself. I want to emphasize the fact that I don't think I'm coming on strong with the ones I'm really interested in. I'm just kind of unambiguous about my interest and, you know, trying to build something that may have a future. So your efforts to build something that may have a future with women that you could see yourself together with in the future are preventing you from having a future with those women. So there's something about the way you come across when you're being chivalrous and bringing flowers and fantasizing about, I don't know, your wedding and what you're going to wear to it with her and what she's going to wear that is scaring women that you might have a future with off. So fuck that shit off. Doctor, doctor, it hurts when I go like this. The doctor says stop going like that. You're going in such a way that you're hurting your romantic prospects with women you might be interested in. So go differently, which is not to say you should use PUA, pickup artist, MRA, men's rights, activist techniques. You're not about, it's not about playing a game. It's not about putting the zap on a woman's head. It's not about making her feel insecure. It's just about moderating the pace at which you roll out this future talk. If at two or three months you're doing this, two or three months, she doesn't feel like she knows you that well. Right. One of the, we just took a call from somebody who's in an abusive relationship. One of the red flags of, of the abuser that we talk about and that women talk about with their friends are people who hustle you into a premature commitment. Perhaps what's coming across as you're being chivalrous 
that these women are picking up on is they're getting this conscious or subconscious sense that you're rushing them along into a commitment that they're not ready to make because after eight or 12 weeks, they don't know you well enough. So you're spooking them by this future fantasy crap. Let yourself have a future with them. Let it unfold. Be casual, not indifferent to their existence, not cold, not hostile. Don't neg them like the PUAs say. Just Go with them. Go with it. Let it happen. But it's not going to happen if you're gaming out the next 50 years together. Game out the next night together, the next day together, maybe what's happening next week. The people begin to make plans for the future with someone when they're dating that are two weeks off, a month off. You know, in a month, this band is coming to town. I got tickets. Would you like to come? That's the kind of shit that should be happening at eight weeks. Not, I could see myself with you forever. That creates obligations and pressures and some people that who might have wanted to be with you forever if it had unfolded more slowly and calmly and naturally will bolt when you say that shit. And they are bolting, so stop fucking saying that shit. Don't play games. Just be easy. Be casual, not indifferent. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by SundanceNow.club, the new streaming service for everyone who loves documentaries. If you're like me and you like real stories about real people in extraordinary situations or you love to learn about the world around you, then you will love Sundance Now Doc Club. We are in kind of a documentary renaissance right now. Things like Going Clear and The Jinx on HBO, things like Serial, the popular podcast about true stories, real stories, and what you will find at Sundance Now Doc Club are tons of true and real stories documentaries, amazing films, some that you've heard of, many that you haven't heard of, but a lot that you're going to want to watch. Doc Club is trying to bring the human voice back to movie recommendations. All their documentary films are handpicked by expert programmers with a unique perspective or by cultural icons like Ira Glass or Susan Sarandon. Doc Club's library of documentaries includes incredible stories of all types, including crime, history, politics, music, and sex. As a Sundance Now Doc Club member, you also get exclusive benefits like free movie tickets, access to film festivals, award shows, and more. For our listeners, Sundance Now Doc Club is offering a free 30-day trial to give you a chance to try out their service. Get your free 30-day trial at docclub.com slash savage. That's D-O-C-C-L-U-B dot com slash savage. Hi, Dan. I am a straight male and just uh uh, going through a recent breakup, and um, I've been through breakups before. Um, uh, depending on the type of breakup, um, they can be really hard and painful and suck. And um, I was wondering if you had any advice on how to best get over those feelings. I find a lot of conflicting stuff online. I know it just takes time and it's hard, but I was wondering if there's anything more scientific, anything more... Uh, leading edge scientific on maybe some tricks you can do to get over it best or um, just just anything at all. It'd be helpful for me and for her. I think we're both suffering and being kind of pathetic right now. And it'd be nice to have some guidance. Thank you. Bananas and toast or maybe a raw egg whooshed up with some Worcestershire sauce. You know, it just takes time. The cliche applies. There's no science here. It's like when you have a hangover and you start getting advice from friends on the things you should try and the last thing you tried worked and what was really happening is by the time you got around to the last thing you tried, the hangover was ending. 
you can try a million different things and eventually the pain will subside and maybe you will credit the last thing you tried with being the cure and it was just the pain had run out by then. It had played out. You're doing the right thing right now. It sounds like the breakup is really recent. You're wallowing. You're being pitiful and pathetic. That is – and I'm sure the science would back me up if anyone bothered to do the science on this. That is a part of the process. You just have to move through that and throw yourself into it and wallow. My advice is typically a month, journal, cry, eat ice cream, plague your friends with your problems and your hurt and then after a month – Shut the fuck up. Go see a movie. Go to the gym. Ride your bike somewhere. Ask your friends how they're doing instead of just talking about yourself. And pretend that you're feeling better and you will start to feel better. Go through the motions of feeling better and you will magically start to feel better. You will still have your sads. They will still sometimes overwhelm you and that's fine. But eventually you have to stop looking at the scabs and picking at the open wounds and that means distracting yourself. So have your pathetic wallow and then get the fuck out of the house. Do something. Do someone else. Hello, Dane. I'm a 21-year-old caller from the Midwest. And I'm just wondering for a curious question. How do you keep a penis soft? I know it's tragic, but I have severe jaw problems and... I cannot have a penis in my mouth. It gets hard. So I'm just and wondering how to keep it soft. Um, when, when it's a soft penis, I can give really great and fulfilling and enjoyable for me. Like, truly, truly, it's one of my favorite things to do. Give soft blowjobs. But... Penises have a tendency to get hard when you suck on them. I know, I know. How sad. Do I just need to date 90-year-olds? Any advice on somehow keeping a penis soft so I can suck on it and have all the fulfillment that I really enjoy from sucking on a soft penis? You could suck my penis. It would be soft the whole time. So you could... Date gay men. You wouldn't have to date only 90-year-old men like you threw out there. And there are 90-year-old guys out there who can get hard. So watch out. If you start sucking 90-year-olds, you might be unpleasantly surprised. Uh, you're not giving someone a blowjob if you're sucking a soft penis and the goal is not to get them off or please them, that guy whose dick you're sucking. Uh, because if it was about getting him off, that would necessitate in almost all cases an erection at some point. This is about what he's giving you. You derive pleasure from having a soft penis in your mouth. So this isn't a blow job that you're giving. This is a soft penis in the mouth job that he's giving, giving to you. You enjoy this. You like a soft dick in your mouth. And I think you just have to be honest about that with the guys that you're with. That when your dick is hard, it's for my hand, it's for my twat, it's for my ass maybe if you're into anal – but when your dick is hard, it's not for my mouth because I have this jaw issue. But I also have this really fun, kinky wrinkle, this little like sex quirk that I don't know if you're going to enjoy. Like, uh, because of these jaw issues, I can't give a blowjob to an erectic. But there's nothing I like more than having a soft dick in my mouth because that turns me on and gets me off. And then after he comes, after he blows a load in your hand, in your pussy, in your ass, in your library sofa, wherever he is – then when his dick goes down and that point of it's torture to have anybody touch your dick after you come, when the, the sensations subside, 
during his refractory period, you can safely put his dick in your mouth without causing him discomfort and without causing him to get an erection. And then you can get off on that soft dick action that you enjoy so much, the softy that you enjoy so much. But you're going to have to be honest with your partner and you have to roll with it and you have to incorporate it and you're going to have to just lay it out. You have this interesting, fun sex quirk and you can't give him a blowjob, but would he please give you a soft job? Hi, Dan. Um, 23-year-old Connie of Southern California. Um, I've been mostly with girls for the past four years of my life and just started kind of dabbling back with guys again. It's been fun. Um, I've been sleeping with this guy. It's been really great. He always goes down on me and, like, I come before we even start anything else, and it's awesome. And I really want to repay the favor, but it seems like my mouth is kryptonite for his dick like I'll be playing with his balls or something and he'll be like really excited and then I go down there and I'm just like kissing and like looking just a little bit and then all of a sudden he's soft and uh, I kind of don't know what to do I I don't really want I haven't brought it up to talk to him about it because I don't want to make it like a thing where then he's self-conscious and can never Stay hard. I just—I I don't know. <laughs> Can I help the girl out? Doctor, doctor, it hurts when I go like this. Don't go like that. Dan, Dan, his dick gets soft when I go like this. Don't go like that. He doesn't like blowjobs for some reason. It would be great if you guys could have a conversation about that. There are guys out there who don't like blowjobs, and maybe he hasn't been very forthcoming about that because. Men are expected to love blowjobs and guys who don't like blowjobs uh, or whose dicks shrink at the blowjob initiation stage may end up feeling self-conscious about that or awkward about that or like there's something wrong with them that that doesn't work for them and so they have a hard time talking about it. But that that could be it. He doesn't like blowjobs. So stop trying to give him a blowjob. Let him eat your pussy. He obviously likes eating your pussy. Let him eat your pussy. He likes it when you play with his balls. Play with his balls. Presumably he likes it when you guys have intercourse. He likes it when you do other stuff and he's hard. Do those other things and stop trying to do what you know doesn't work for him that makes him feel uncomfortable. It's also possible that he might not want to talk about this or be ready to talk about it because perhaps he was traumatized in some way. Yes, boys are sexually abused too and can experience sexual trauma too. Maybe he was – given blowjobs against his will when he was young or by a terrible person or molested by somebody and just the association is too strong. Like, And he's never going to be able to go there or do this with anybody and that's why he hasn't talked about it yet, right? Because there's trauma and he's not ready to share that with you. Either way, whatever it is, doesn't like it because he just doesn't, doesn't like it because of some horrible association that makes it really unpleasant. Your job right now is to stop fucking doing it, right? Do what works. Do what you know turns him on. Stop doing this thing that you've determined does not turn him on. And make sure you have the kind of open lines of communication that when he's ready to talk to you about this, he will talk to you about this. Hi, Dan. This is a 29-year-old male, straight. I've never called or thought about calling until today because I am currently passing into Florida on a crazy whim to tell a girl that I love her. I guess I, I guess I'll give you background. Um, I just had someone move in with me 
where I live, which is about eight hours north. And as soon as she moved in, she started to go crazy, become really cold, and decided last night that she was just going to go stay somewhere else. So on a whim, I went to Florida to tell someone who I hadn't seen in five years that I love them. I guess I'm just feeling a little crazy. I'm really scared of the outcome here, but I don't know what kind of advice I'm even asking for. I'm just trying to figure out, am, am I am I crazy? Am I just losing it? Are you crazy? I don't know. You're doing something crazy, but all sane people occasionally do something crazy. I think crazy, not crazy isn't the issue. I think what's going on here is you're at this low point and you're making this large dramatic gesture and romantic comedies, movies, films, televisions, they convince us that because they show these things over and over again, these dramatic moments that the grand romantic gesture, even the seemingly crazy grand romantic gesture is a key to success. It will lead you to romantic success. That's how the movies make it look in reality to be on the receiving end of one of these grand romantic desperate dramatic gestures is usually very unpleasant, right? John Cusack showing up on your window and say anything with a boom box and waking your whole family up works in the movies. Doesn't usually work in realities in reality. That isn't typically going to get anybody anywhere except the backseat maybe of a cop car that you, you feel this need because you took a risk on the person that you just moved in with and it didn't work out. She moved in and realized that you were wrong for her or maybe she's crazy. She moved in and then just went nuts and now is moving out and treating you coldly. Has you thinking about what could have been with this other person and you to work through the angst to distract yourself have allowed the energy, the shame, the regret, the self-recrimination, the anger, you've allowed all of that to propel you to Florida to tell this person something they probably don't want to hear. And you're, that's fine. You know, Sometimes people reach out and connect with a past lover, an ex, and they're both on the same page and neither of them had the courage to say anything to each other and Yahtzee. And it works out. You know, That's one of the things the arrival of Facebook showed us where there's lots of people out there who used to be in our lives who aren't anymore who still want to fuck us. A lot of people learned that when they first got on Facebook, right? Ended a lot of marriages. People reconnected with old flames and ex-boyfriends and girlfriends and looked at their current flame and thought, I need to extinguish this shit and ran off with the old one. Who knows? Maybe she's there. The line that separates you and this crazy act from crazy person doing a crazy thing is how you reacted, assuming you're already in Florida and you're already on your way there and there's this lag between the call being recorded and the call being broadcast, how you reacted when, you know, odds being what they are, she reacted in horror or she told you that's nice, but I'm not interested. How did you react in that moment? Did that further propel you into more crazy acts? Did that send you reeling? Or did that likely outcome, were you sane enough to realize that was a likely outcome, end this for you? This little hero's journey across the country in your car to go tell a girl something she may or most likely may not want to hear. 
if you heard her say, oh, oh my God, uh, I'm with somebody now and I'm not interested, but it's nice to see you, but which would be a lie at that moment, probably not nice to see you, but uh, and you allowed her to back away from you and you graciously made your exit and then you went and had some pancakes at an IHOP and thought, I need to return to reality and pick the pieces up. If that was your reaction, then you're not crazy. You're a sane-ish person who did a crazy and most likely unwelcome thing. And now you're going to get your shit together, right? You took all that energy from the angst and the anger and the whatever and the, the regret about your recent relationship troubles and you plowed it into this drive. And now you're going to drive the fuck back to where you came from and pick up your pieces and move or get a roommate or whatever you need to do to pay the rent and file this whole episode away as that crazy thing that you, sane person, did once. Hi, Dan. This is a comment for the scientist from episode 450. I have to agree with your tech-savvy at-risk youth who said that he should just date someone in the STEM field. I'm a scientist myself, and I ended up marrying someone in the sciences, and it's great. Uh, I also have to say you guys seemed pretty condescending in your impressions of a scientist robot. Dan, I know you have plenty of scientists on your show all the time. You know that that's not what they're like. The Asperger-y uh, reputation that scientists have doesn't do us any favors, and I thought you guys would have been a bit more sensitive to that. Hi, I'm calling with a comment about the scientist who found that he was being overly skeptical in social situations, and I thought that you were just kind of making fun of him for being overly arrogant, but it's a real issue in that science has a much lower threshold for bullshit uh, than in, in a socially acceptable. I'm a biochemist, and I, I deal with the same thing. My advice for him would be to adopt some new habits in both his conversations with scientists and non-scientists, which will help him especially with the latter. Uh, the first is to be in gener very generous in his conversations, give people the benefit of the doubt, and listen to what they intended as opposed to what they literally said. So if somebody says that they like the energy of a room, they're not talking about thermodynamics. They're talking about their intuitions, and that's legitimate. Uh, you should be pragmatic in that if something he says is going to hurt somebody, you should keep that in mind, and maybe it's not as important to point out every little thing if he's going to hurt someone that he cares about. Another interesting thing is that he might be a little bit insecure. Uh, one of the interesting things about grad school that I've certainly encountered is that even though you're in this elite, prestigious program, uh, within the bubble of that program, you tend to be made to feel very inadequate and you have to prove yourself. So it's something to be aware of in other circles. I agree with you that he should date maybe people in other STEM fields, but there aren't a lot of women in the physical sciences. Uh, so I would recommend that he hang out in the life sciences as much as possible. Uh, I'm a biologist, and there's almost a majority of women in many places, and that's some place where he can meet people and maybe use them as a gauge. Uh, if they find him to be too arrogant there, then maybe it's him. Uh, he could also hang out at skeptic societies. They appreciate science and appreciate that way of thinking, uh, as well as uh, you know, if he wants to do online dating, hang out on OkCupid and use a lot of those skeptic scientist buzzwords so that he can attract the right people. Advice for the young scientist in episode 450. One, refine your objective function for potential matches. You may want to include more traits such as interest in debate into your screening algorithm. Two, your PhD likely taught you about the precision of language, and not everyone has had this privilege, so you must be considerate give people a pass on the first date and reassure yourself that they are probably nervous just like you and thus only clarify repeated misuses of a word. Three, when questioning someone's logic or word choice, 
ask open-ended questions, learn more about them, how they think, and experiences that have influenced their perspectives. Four, when you are on the tail of any bell curve and looking for a similar mate, the product of two small numbers is a small number, so it takes a lot of first dates to be successful. Finally, dating is an ongoing hypothesis test. Continue to test yours. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, 206-201-2720. The Hump Tour Hump being the Pacific Northwest's biggest, best, and only amateur porn film festival, my porn film festival, is coming to Brooklyn, New York, Thursday, June 25th at the White Hotel, one night only. Go to humptour.com for information about tickets. And also at humptour.com, find information about submitting a film to Hump, just click on submit. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Alice Dreger on Twitter at Alice Dreger. Follow Liz Canner on Twitter at Orgasm underscore Inc. Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. 